Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Sunday Night Sit Down. I am your host, Miracle Jones. As you know, here in Pennsylvania, we are in the midst of a very competitive um, and vast primary election that's going to be held on May 17th. And today we have a very special guest, James Earl Jones, of course, no relation, who is a Republican candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania. Every Sunday for the Sunday night sit down, we sit down with people who are running for office to get a chance to understand who they are, what brings them joy, what campaign life is like, and some of the values that they are pushing on their campaign. And please, please, please welcome today's guest, James Earl Jones. Good morning or good afternoon, and thank you very much for having me to be with you. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Jones. Um, like I said, you are running for Lieutenant Governor. Can you just talk a little bit about what motivated you uh, to enter this race? That's an excellent question because I've been a member, uh, I've been a, a, a servant uh, to God all of my life, or at least since I was 12. And the way I was born and raised in Luxor, Arkansas, is that when you see things need to be done, you shouldn't have to be told to go do it. And in my church, I've been there for 17 years, and I've heard my pastor preach and teach on some of the policies in America that certainly doesn't set well with my own Christian values. And I am a Christian, been with one church for 17 years. And I decided that after sitting there for that long period of time, and looking at what is happening, what's taking place, not only in black communities and how we've been deprived of uh, religious freedoms and how we've had medical freedom issues taken away from us, I decided it's time for me to do something about it. I'm a businessman, I run two companies, an HR company and a petroleum company, very successful. So I'm not looking for a job, I'm looking to make a difference. I have three children, eight grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. They are people that are very important to me, just as many other parents and grandparents and great-grandparents in Pennsylvania. We need to prepare a future, a safe future for them, so they can get educated and they can be taken care of and they can find jobs, whether they want to go to college or whether they just want to go to trade school. I think it's important for us to do the very best job we can to stand on the shoulders of those who have made ways for us and to be able to Look at what we can contribute, not just something that's, you know, tongue in cheek, but make words turn into deeds. And the only way you can do that for me as a businessman, I put it in writing. I have a three to five year business plan that covers all the key touchstone points that's going to make everyone believe that the American dream is available for all of us once again. So thank you for asking me that question. That's why I want to run. That's why I think I can make a difference. 
Thank you so much for that. And you talk about why you weren't one. Is there a political figure that inspires you or that you would like to model your campaign after? Yes. The political figure that most folks may not understand because he was born a slave. His name was Frederick Douglass. Yes, he was born at a time where slavery was in full effect and he taught himself how to read, how to write, and he did so many great things for us as Black Americans, as slaves, uh, former heirs of former slaves. By the way, my great-great-grandfather was a slave. He was 113 years old, and he died in 1943. He lived at a time when Frederick Douglass was there and inspired Abraham Lincoln, our number 16th president, to set the Emancipation Proclamation in place. I look at Frederick Douglass as being my leader, a bear model. No, he may not have held any positions, but he was the first black man nominated to be the vice president of the United States of America. And I looked at what he stood for, the ballot box, the jury box, the cartridge box, and the soap box, kind of the platform which I'm going on right now. Frederick Douglass inspired Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation to set slaves free. We have a lot of people in Pennsylvania right now that need to emulate what Frederick Douglass has said. We need to be set free. Not just only black folks, but we got white folks, brown folks. Many of us need to have the right attitude because most of us come from a Judeo-Christian background. Christianity teaches me to love one another and to do your very best job that you can do. So that's why I'm running. That's why I choose Frederick Douglass, a Republican conservative black man, a champion in my eyes, who made a world of difference. And I certainly hope to be able to do some of those same things that Frederick Douglass have done for not only mankind, but for America, Pennsylvania. And hopefully I can be able to make everyone think that that's a great example of a leader that we all need to subscribe to. Thank you so much for that. And um, like I said, you're you're out here, you're you're campaigning. Um, what unique quality um, do you bring to this race? And what has something that has surprised you about um, this campaign? You're, while you're out here campaigning for lieutenant governor, I have leadership qualities, and I say that because it takes a lot in a businessman with my background. I've been responsible for more than 275,000 employees. I've been responsible for over a $200 million budget. And before this year is over, I may be responsible for a $2.8 billion budget. I've managed 26 labor unions with different labor unions that I've managed to work with. I also have been responsible for managing 26,000 people who walked off a job, labor union people walked off a job, and I had a chance to speak with the leaders, talk with them, find out what were some of the core issues. And you know what? I was able to inspire everybody to work together and to demonstrate that labor and management can get along, but you have to be able to find that common ground. So what I've done as I've been traveling over Pennsylvania, I'm looking at all 65, I'm sorry, 67 counties. I've had a chance to talk with people in urban communities suburban communities, rural communities, and I found out what some of the major issues are. 
These people enjoy what I have to say. And I'm not just talking about white people, white Republicans. I'm talking about Democrats, independents, libertarians, black people, white people, Hispanics, Asians. Many people like the message because I'm a firm believer in being inclusive. We cannot just simply try to build America alone. We have to have people who look like America. And we have to be able to work hard to get things done. So some of the key issues that I found, the economy, the environment, education, and energy. And what I've done, I've crafted a three to five year business plan that address all of those four particular areas. I certainly hope that I get a chance to share that with you before we finish this interview. But most importantly, my skill sets is I know how to bring people together. Large projects, small projects, I know how to bring people together. As I said, I've dealt with 26 labor unions, 275,000 employees. I know what it takes to deal with large-scale project management schemes. And that's really simple to me. It's called engagement. You have to be able to get people to work with you rather than against you. When you have people working for a common cause, when you have people working to set aside parties, set aside race, set aside all the other issues that tend to create a divide, let's work together and let's get people engaged and talk about rules and responsibilities, what, what it means for them to do their part to help make our economy better, to help make our environment better, to look at education and see how we can do education and make it so magnanimous because right now we're behind. And the energy. We're sitting on a lot of energy right here in Pennsylvania, between 150 and 200 years of energy. We can be just as popular as Saudi Arabia and Russia and any other country, but we have to be able to use our resources. I've got international resources through my petroleum company. People are very, very interested in me becoming the next lieutenant governor. I believe that leadership quality not just only works its way in Pennsylvania, but if I have to speak on behalf of the governor, I have that ability to do that, whether it's in Washington or whether it's in the international community. I certainly believe I have that ability to entertain and host heads of states in Pennsylvania so that they can come here and set up shops, open up businesses. But we have to make Pennsylvania warm and receptive to new business coming in and not have so many critical uh, demeaning regulations that's causing them to go to other states. That's what I bring to Pennsylvania as leadership is so desperately needed. Bring people together. We have to have that, otherwise, we're gonna go down the drain, folks. I believe I have that ability to do that. God-given. Thank you so much. Um, when you're talking about bringing um, people together, one issue that has been on a lot of people's minds right now is the issue of public safety. Again, everyone has different interpretations of what public safety is. And you touched on a lot of points about education and environment and economics. Can you just explain, expand a little more about what your vision of public safety is um, and some of the things that you would advocate for if elected? Public safety is a very critical thing for not only me, my family, my neighbors, everybody in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Public safety is what's going to bring new business to Pennsylvania. Public safety is going to bring new students to Pennsylvania. Public safety is going to make us all feel it's okay for us to go to the grocery store, go to Walmart, go to 
you know, the, the pharmacy and pick up a prescription or go get some gasoline, but don't feel like we're going to be carjacked or robbed. We have to do a better job in Pennsylvania. But, you know, we haven't done so well in many areas like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Allentown. We have so many crimes that are taking place, and particularly in Philadelphia, that we need to have a good law and order approach so that people feel safe again. Now, in certain communities, guess what? They feel very safe. And I don't like that because every person should feel safe. Every person should feel safe when they're going to church, when they're going out to uh, have dinner, when they're getting gasoline. They need to feel safe in doing that. And if we got people who are impoverished, who are unemployed, who are jobless, we need to address that issue. But we also have to have a good law and order approach. And businesses are not going to come to Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, period, if they find that it's unsafe for them and their families to live and work here. Public safety to me means making sure that we have a police department, a law enforcement community that wants to serve all. Public safety to me means that when you are putting uh, you and your family out there first, that your health is very comfortably dealt with, that you don't have to deal with environmental hazards. Public safety also means that the government is here to serve you, me, us, we the people, we're not, should be able to serve the government or kissing the ring just to get them to serve us. As I said earlier, there are different needs in different communities for public safety. Urban communities, suburban communities, rural communities have different needs. But it's one thing that's certainly not going to help us. The drug flow, fentanyl, the, um, the, the defunding the police, those are not how helpful are having even open air drug markets as they've had right in Philadelphia. Nor even having a district attorney like the guy in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, who simply look at gun crimes or even violent crimes and bring the police brings them to justice and he just simply allows them to go through a revolving door. That's not good for us because if someone reported that person for committing a crime, now their safety is at risk. And we have a district attorney who's not doing his job. Maybe he's on the take or something. I don't know. But we have to find out what's going on. And if he's on the take for some under-the-table type money or funds or his campaign has been financed by people that are, are, are influencing him under the color of law, we need to get him impeached. We get him prosecuted. That's what it is public safety. People need to feel it. You can't talk about it. After you've talked about it for 15, 20, 30 years, 40, 50 years, come on, stop. We need to reduce the crime. We need to make it safe for our children to sit at home and watch TV programs, sitting on the couch, dealing with drive-bys. We need to stop that. And it can be done. Public safety is the number one uh, platform that I want to look at. Our environment will not grow. We can't get people back to work unless we have a good law and order approach.
You mentioned um, a lot of the things in your answer, and I really appreciate um, that. I want to talking about like the the education and the investment in community specifically, um, with job creation, which is something that you have done through your companies. What is something that you would advocate for, particularly for um, young black and brown men to do um, job trainings, educational trainings, or other vocational trainings to um, interrupt these cycles of crime and violence? Education is so critical. What we have to do, we is Pennsylvania and the government leaders in Pennsylvania, we have to do things that we've not done before. So often we have talked about enticing or inspiring our children to go to college, which is nothing's wrong with that. Not everybody wants to go to college. Not everybody wants to have a professional career. Many people that I know and that I've been in contact with, they want to learn a trade. They want to learn how to deal with carpentry, masonry, auto mechanics, electrical, uh, framing doors, uh, drywall, laying carpet. And you know what? We need to inspire more trade jobs. A little bit about my background. I was a blue collar guy when I first joined the Navy. Oh, by the way, I was a cotton picker from Arkansas. So I understand hard work. But what I mean is that we all have to start someplace. And I would join the Navy. I learned how to chip paint. I learned how to paint. I learned how to weld because my brother was welding. He and I signed up. For, I signed up for brother duty during the Vietnam War. And, and I just simply said, man, I love this stuff. I learned how to be able to make and use a craft or a trade that I could build something with my own hands. And I could stand back and look at it and go, yeah, I did that. I did it based upon the specifications that was given to me. And I can stand back and go, oh, yeah, I did that. And my brother would help me to make sure I learned how to do it better, whether it was aluminum welding, MIG and TIG, heliod, brazing, doing pipe fitting work, carpentry work, and even canvas work. I learned how to do those things. And I never had a problem with ever applying it because when people talk to me now and they think, oh, wow, you've never had dirt on your fingers. You never had a flash burn. You never had to build anything with your own hands. And I have to disagree with them. And when they sit down and talk with me for a little while, they find out that, you know what? He's for real. We need to make sure that we have options. And I think going back to something that's really simple. Even in schools and classes right now, we've got to eliminate all this violence and stuff inside the classrooms and so that kids are there to learn how to do something. We need to look at what it's going to take to get people educated, reading, writing, arithmetic. That's important. Learn how to manage your finances. That's important. We need to teach kids how to, what it means to pledge allegiance of the flag of the United States of America. I've done that for years. And it didn't break my back. It didn't hurt my spirit, my soul at all. We need to teach people about the Constitution. Read the Constitution because it's always here and it's never going to change. We need to know why the 13th Amendment of the Constitution was inspired by the guy I was telling you about earlier, Frederick Douglass, a Republican conservative. We need to seek out opportunities and not expect the government to put those opportunities down our hand. I recently read a book. And it was said, the title of it is um, Stop Government, Stop Helping Us So We Can Help Ourselves. 
And we need to look at not only job skills, but business skills. What can we do to create our own businesses? Whether it's a barbershop, beauty salon, lawn care services, it doesn't matter. We need to be able to know what happens. And you know, I know a lot of people, good people and bad people. You know, I have been into the hoods many, many times when I'm out campaigning. And I know a lot of guys who are drug dealers, who are thugs, who are from the hood. So don't just don't just take all this for granted, okay? I know what I'm talking about. And I know what it's going to take to get people back to work again. They're looking for jobs. Nobody wants to be impoverished all their lives. We don't want the government to take care of us with these stimulus checks that creates an addiction. It's free money. That's what our president wants to do. Give us free money so that we can be lazy. You know, Bible talks about teaching a person to fish. And he, uh, you know, it's the difference between you give a person fish or teach a person to fish. If you teach a person to fish, he'll live forever. But if you give a person fish, he'll rely upon you forever. We need to break that cycle. We've seen too much of it. Too much. Thank you so much. And that kind of rolls into my uh, next question, breaking the cycle and, uh, and building businesses. There's been a lot of conversations around uh, police reform and judicial reform. Some of those um, talk about collateral consequences with people who have criminal convictions being barred to work in certain industries. Um, as Lieutenant Governor, what are some of the things that you would advocate for and push for when it comes to uh, reforms, particularly around um, uh, criminal justice issues? You know, criminal justice issues are going to always be around for a while, for many, many years to come. And they've been around for many, many years of our past. I know that as a lieutenant governor, my role would be legislatively two, two parts, and that is to uh, be the chairman of the Senate and also be the chairman of the um, Board of Pardon and Parole. I believe in looking at the system to see how many people were unjustly put inside that system, not just recently, but even in the past. Uh, many years ago, there was a president called Bill Clinton. He came up with the three strikes you out. Unfortunately, that hit hard, very, very hard into the black communities. A black or brown person could have a, you know, two minor offenses, and then they get another one, and uh, even if it was jaywalking, and they'd find himself being thrown into prison because of his three strikes outlaw. Now, none of us are saints, but I'm a firm believer that the God I serve is a God of a second chance, and I think that when you start looking at prison reform, it can't just be a cookie cutter approach. It has to be a case-by-case -case basis. You must be able to look at each and every person who's incarcerated to see whether parole and pardon or clemency is going to be the right thing for that person. If they have a history of compliance and showing remorse for whatever they've done, I believe looking at them real carefully would be the right thing to do. And help them to become educated while they're in the system. Help them to learn skills so that when they come out, uh, they can get a job. And I'm not saying if a person has a pedophilia charge on them that they're going to go into a child care facility. No, not at all. But I am saying that if we have someone maybe have been there for, let's say, for example, minor marijuana charges or minor drug offenses, we'll look at them 
if they're under that three strikes you out program, we'll look at them real carefully and see how we can help them to transition into a good career, into a good job, and not allow that to be held against them. You know, some felonious crimes will prevent a person even from voting. And I think that we have a lot of folks in prison who can't vote. So I believe that looking at the whole person and also looking at our community. And by the way, I was on a a program several weeks ago with the black clergy in Philadelphia. And I was on another program not very long ago with the uh, some of the black uh, clergy folks in Pittsburgh as well. I am a Christian, so I certainly welcome any of those engagements. But one of the things that I shared with the clergy and I share with any nonprofit organization that looks at how we can have an impact on recidivism, returning citizens, how we can help impact that correctional institution. It's a community project. It's not just the government being able to say, we're going to fix this person. We're going to fix what happened. Usually churches, community organizations, they're dealing with people who come out of prison all the time. Many of them are family members, our neighbors. Many of those are our cousins. But we have to work with them. So when they come around and they're seeking jobs or they're seeking support, because not everybody's going to get that behavioral um, you know, psychological, mental health treatment that they need to help them to get there. And if they, you know, maybe look at a, a clergy and see how they can help, that's a part of the solution. It's not just a, a single pill that's going to say, we're going to make everybody great again. We're going to make, you know, people coming out of prison be reformed. Reform starts right here. It starts inside the mind. But people need to have jobs when they come out. They need to be welcomed into the community. And churches and nonprofit organizations who are helping prisoners and helping people to get jobs. In fact, a good friend of mine, she has a group called Men's Fit. They get out and help prisoners, or returning citizens, as I like to call them. They help them to improve their image, dress them up nicely, teach them how to interview, how to fill out job applications, and how to follow up with letter writing schemes and strategies. And my friend, uh, the place called Men's Fit, She's been doing this since, let me see, 2006. She brought such a wonderful program in, and I'm going to support people like that throughout Pennsylvania. Clergies who are doing a great job. I believe faith-based initiatives should continue to be reopened and built upon because faith-based programs help to be able to return people to communities and make it safe for everybody. So prison reform, I'm a strong proponent of it. High-ranking criminals. Think they have a chance, a choice to to redeem themselves, but you got to show history. You got to show that you've been doing something good. And all I am is just a a member of that chairman. I, I get a vote on the matter, but I want to make sure that my vote counts. I want to make sure it counts, and I want to make sure that your vote counts too. Thank you so much for that. And um, we've got a few couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. And earlier you were talking about your petroleum company and, and the work that that has done, but you also brought up the environment. A lot of times people would be shocked, like you're, you own a petroleum company. What concerns do you have about the environment? But you've brought it up a multitude of times. Can you just talk about what your approach would be to any type of environmental protections and regulations and um, how people can uh, approach you to have a deeper conversation on this topic? 
Not a lot of black people are involved in patrolling since you mentioned that. Uh, and so I was blessed and richly uh, informed by some good friends of mine out of Washington, D.C. and Virginia. And that's how I got involved with it several years ago, many years ago. What I have found in that is when you're sponsored into an industry, it helps make it much, much easier to be successful. I'm a firm believer that we've got some problems with our outdated regulations in terms of the environment. For example, there's one specific regulation that is so damaging to new businesses and to folks who want to be able to start businesses in Pennsylvania. It's called REGI. It's a region, the acronym stands for Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And what REGI does is been signed into law by Governor Wolf. It provides 520, I'm sorry, $325 to $525 million a year, taxpayer dollars, to reduce emission standards that will amount to 0.0002%. And I think that is a waste of taxpayer dollars, honestly. I'm a business person. We can put that money elsewhere. It's a new name for climate change. But it also, this Reggie is a job killer. I have had three, three steel mills come to Pennsylvania. And they wanted to set up a turnkey operation because we've got Pittsburgh steel, we got Bethlehem steel, we've got other steels in Pennsylvania that were very profitable, almost turnkey operation. They came to Pennsylvania and they sought to open up a shop here. And you're talking about 2,200, 22 to 2,500 employees starting salaries between 80 to $120,000 a year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to help support, you know, pension plans and uh, to help keep our economy moving forward. But what happened is they were turned down by the Department of Environmental Protection. They were turned down. So what they did was they went to my old home state. Remember I said I was from Arkansas? Well, that's where they went. And they're now, uh, I have a cousin who is a state representative in Arkansas. Uh, I saw them having a brown, uh, groundbreaking ceremony uh, about mm, two months ago, celebrating those three steel mills coming to Arkansas to work. So we have to be smart about how we bring things in. You know, nobody is free of sin, and I'm not saying that we are not going to have some issues when we have new um, developers coming in. But it certainly should not take two or three years and developers posting $300,000 just to get a permit. And that's what I've been told. We have too much red tape, and we have too many antiquated, antiquated uh, regulations to get these permits issued much faster. I believe in technology. I believe that we should be able to uh, have an online system where in less than two to four weeks, you should have an approval. And during the course of that time, you should have an environmental impact statement. You should have a stormwater drainage program, management program, and you should be able to talk about what it's gonna take and the value add for all of our communities, all of our communities. But we can't just say any company can come in and disrupt our community without having an environmental impact. Yes, we need to have studies to show that how we're going to protect our environment and protect the citizens too. But we have companies right now that are generating resources we're very proud of, and it's going to help us as we prepare for actually energy security. 
We're seeing that right now with the cost of fuel over at the gas pumps. That's a lot of money we have to pay for 87 unleaded gas, $4.69 a gallon. We can do better than that because we have a company here in Pennsylvania called Marcellus Shell, the uh, Keystone Exxon Pipeline. We have the Dakota Access Line all coming through Pennsylvania that we can run that down to the uh, Philadelphia uh, ports, the Navy Yard and the Chester ports. We can shoot those products straight out to our ships and send them over to our clients, such as in, in uh, uh, take away some of those clients that Russia has, send products straight to Europe, send product to Asia, India, China if necessary. We will do what is necessary, but we got to be smart and look at how our environment can provide more fuel than what Saudi Arabia has right here in Pennsylvania. That's no joke. We just got to work smart about it. Get the right people in place and be able to offer waivers at a time when we need to be able to do the right thing. Get people back to work. We've killed a lot of jobs. In fact, we kill over, uh, let me see, 20, I'm sorry, 35% of job, uh, companies in Pennsylvania during this last shot, shutdown for this pandemic. We have to get people back to work again. Make them believe in the American dream. Stop with the environmental shutdowns. Let's make Pennsylvania open for business again. We can do it. And that's why I'm here. Uh, thank you uh, uh, so much for that answer. And you were talking about its environmental impacts. And we know with Pennsylvania, like places of Claritin and other issues, there's always a fear that these businesses, uh, you know, will come to Pennsylvania, do the job, but then the environmental impact will negatively impact poor working class Black people with, you know, issues like uh, of asthma and, and cancer. And so within your environmental impact, would you be advocating to make sure that these companies had newer technology, weren't um, polluting air? Like, what are some of the things that you would do uh, to address those concerns? Because this is a you know a huge issue. There are deep feelings on you know all sides you know of these issues. But a lot, of course, people want jobs, but people also want to have like clean air. And because you're someone who's like an expert in this field, and you've been able to navigate this successfully over the past. Uh, for years, what are some of the things that uh, you see would be working for Pennsylvania? I think that nobody wants to have a waste management dumped in their backyard. It's called NIMBY, not in my backyard. And I agree with that. But I also think that we have to have some form of, for example, waste management systems. And I do know that in Singapore, those guys are doing incredibly good jobs with handling waste. And I'm referring to the trash and I'm referring to some of the uh, liquid waste that are coming out of uh, industry and they're recycling it. And in fact, one of the things that Singapore is doing, and if we can be able to adopt some of those strategies is just, just looking at it as a case study. Find out what makes them so successful at being able to regenerate waste and how they can be able to put it back into the ocean and even have such a pristine uh, system where fish, wildlife, coral, all these things are growing because of the way they handle it. So again, to properly answer your question, there's a number of different things that we can do to help prevent, you know, reckless emission. Yes, we need to have emission standards. Yes, we need to make sure that we have um, environmental impact statements. And yes, we may need to make certain that we're not recklessly dumping on citizens and call Cancer, uh, cancer um, uh, uh, 
pollutants into our communities, into our environment. And how do we do that? Through regular inspections. How do we manage the regular inspections? We put them on a schedule. We make sure that they are regularly talked and discussed about what risk they are willing to expose themselves to and how they're willing to mitigate that risk. And how about the, the input from the community? We all know that other countries are having many successes doing some of the same things we're doing. But if you look at some of the third world countries, those guys are really having problems. How are we going to protect Pennsylvania from looking like a third world country? And the only way we can do that is we have to utilize the necessary technology, utilize the necessary best practices. And we have to look at what other folks are doing, other countries are doing, other states are doing to mitigate the risk and damages to our environment. Nobody wants to kill wild animals. Nobody wants to kill people either. But we want to make sure that we have such a, a unique system of a blend where we can have industry and we can have the community and we can have wetlands, open lands. We can have everyone to share this environment together and still not harm each other. Thank you um, so much for that. And my next last question before we move uh, uh, to our closing is you mentioned Frederick Douglass and one of the things um, that he fought for was the ballot box. We know there is a lot uh, of conversation going around how we run our elections, um, what should be the rules about our elections. Um, as Lieutenant Governor, um, as a candidate, what are some of the things that you would advocate for specifically around how Pennsylvania engages its elections? I think election reform is sorely needed. I think that one vote, one count. One vote, one count, which means that, yes, <clears throat> when we go to the ballot box, we have currently uh, Act 77 in place, which allowed for, you know, my opinion, fraud friendly mail-in voting. And it was like anybody could fill out a, a mail-in ballot and submit it to uh, the, the Department of State uh, to their county and get a vote uh, registered. And there was a lot of ballot harvesting from what I understand. I wasn't there. All I know is that there's a case in Delaware County right now and the attorney I do know is um, handling a whistleblower case where there was some illegal actions going on. Secondly, Act 77 was found unconstitutional. It goes against the Pennsylvania Constitution. Is we're clear about how people can vote and who's eligible to vote. I have also found that since uh, this Act 77 was put into place, and it should have been designed for like people that are sick, shut in, uh, people who are traveling, people who are in the military, those are what absentee ballots are like, never should change. But now there's like 1.38 million people who requested a permanent absentee ballot, a voter mail-in ballot. Now, if you're able to go to the polls, there's no reason for you not to go. If you want to sit down and watch, you know, some program uh, on TV and not go to the polls, you're missing out on a constitutional duty to be there and do that. I want to make sure that my vote counts, and I would hope that everybody would be inspired to ensure that as well, because as I said, we've got people like Frederick Douglass who have put a lot at risk. We've got champions like Martin Luther King Jr., to ensure that all of our rights were protected and that we get character involved when we make elections and not just simply picking someone because they are a certain party. We need to have 
and election systems that work. Here's why. And I'll be real brief. If you go to an ATM machine and you want to draw out, let's say, $100, you can punch in a password and that ATM machine will give you the $100 and it will tell you exactly how much money you have left in that machine. It will give you a little code that it tells you a registration number that associated with that transaction. You take that card and you go, okay, I've got this. That little slip, that receipt. I've got this. And you will know exactly what happened. I don't think there's anything wrong with us having voting requirements that gives you a receipt. A receipt on who you voted for and how you voted. And that receipt is better than just having a little stated flag that says, I voted. That makes no difference at all. We need to move up into a technology place where we're doing things smarter. And it gives people the assurance that we have a voter integrity system that works for us, just like the ATM machine. I know when they first started using ATM machines, my goodness, my mother would never, never, never use an ATM machine. Finally, one day she needed some money when she was broke. She says, well, I had to go up there. And she, my mother's long gone now. She's deceased. But she had to go to an ATM machine and use it. And she says, oh, that works pretty good. So I think that we have to just look at how we can improve our technology with voter integrity so that everyone feels comfortable in knowing that they're registered voters, they're not foreign aliens, and that we don't have uh, foreign countries interfering with our voting capabilities or influencing it one way or the other. And as a lieutenant governor, I think that I have a wide variety of skill sets, and I'm focused. I'm focused not just only on making things right for uh, Americans, um, Pennsylvanians, but I'm focused on making sure that people who look like us are in the game. We have to be in this game. Not We're going to be behind. So that's why I'm running. I got a lot of skin in the game, and I'm not looking for a job. I'm not a career politician. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. Um, and that has been James Earl Jones, who's the Republican uh, candidate for lieutenant, one of the Republican candidates for lieutenant governor. Um, as we wrap, can you just talk about how people can get in contact with you? And our, the question we ask every person who comes on, what is bringing you joy right now? Thank you for that question. It's real simple how to get in touch with me. The website is directly behind my shoulder, Jones or LT. G-O-V-E-R-N-O-R-P-A dot com. What makes me excited each and every day is that the Bible says to live for Christ to die as king. I got prayed into this position to run for lieutenant governor. And I didn't want to be Jonah, so I chose to be Moses. And I believe that uh, the belly of the whale is not a good place to be. So I'm doing it not because of anything other than the fact that I want to represent all of us make sure we got a seat at the table, to make sure that I have my focus skill sets that are <clears throat> certainly going to be a good use. I pray every day. I pray for guidance from my God. And I ask God for knowledge, wisdom, skills, and understanding. Things that I don't understand, I, I want to make sure that I'm in alignment with him. And I say to him, you know, give me the right choices. Connect me with the right people. And if this is something I am to do, and it's inspired by you, then you open up those doors for me. Allow me to be a blessing. Allow me to be with Solomon. Allow me to be that person who represents all of us. I'm a Christian. I've been taught to love all my life. That's not going to change. I've been taught to be fair. I got that from my family. I also got it from 
just my studies, being fair and honest. I have integrity. I've never been arrested, never had all that DUI stuff behind me, never had any PFAs or been late on my child support. But I do know one thing. I don't have a purple heart, but I've been through three wars, but I have the heart of Christ. And that's the thing that's going to keep me anchored in the decision that I make. I'm not swayed by anybody who's got a lot of money. I mean, it's not that important for me. I am swayed because I'm bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that's why I'm running. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to you and everybody just listen. So I pray, I was brought in here under prayer and I think that I'll, uh, I'll treat everybody right. I'll make the right choices for you. Perfect. Thank you so much. That has been a conversation um, for the tonight sit down with Lieutenant Governor, uh, candidate, Republican candidate, James Earl Jones. And so I want to thank Mr. Jones um, for joining us again, um, no relation. We brought you the Sunday night sit down because people have said we want to get more involved in the politics. We want to meet the politicians who are running and we don't want to see the, the fighting, the back and forth. We want to see um, what is motivating the politicians, what is motivating people to, you know, take up this mantle to run for office. And that's why we bring you the Sunday night sit down. We talk with candidates from all parties, people who are running, because again, if someone is going to be representing us, we want to know uh, who they are and what they stand for. Reminder, May 17th, it's coming up so fast. That is the election day here in Pennsylvania. You must be registered to vote, and we have closed primary elections in Pennsylvania. What that means is you have to be uh, registered to a specific party to vote for a specific candidate. Um, if you are not uh, in a registered party, you do not vote um here in this May 17th election, you vote in the general um, in November. Um, this May 17th election, you'll be picking people up and down the ballot um, from your local state reps all the way to your uh, candidates for governor. And this year, you also have your candidate for Congress and your candidate for U.S. Senate. So please remember to save the date um, for May 17th. We talked about um, mail-in voting earlier. Um, you have until May 10th to request a mail-in ballot. You're still able to uh, vote by mail here in Pennsylvania. So if you're an individual who will not be um, in the region on Tuesday the 17th, you may have to work. Um, or you may have other issues and you know you cannot show up to the polls on the 17th, you must request your mail-in ballot by May 10th. I believe the deadline is going to be 5 p.m. You have to go to vote.pa.gov. Um, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please join us next Sunday for another edition of the Sunday Night Sit Down. I am your host, Miracle Jones. Have a good evening.